Thanks for joining us for worship. Due to the current COVID-19 measures, we're not able to gather in person. However, our communities need your support more than ever, and every offering is a blessed gift. Did you know that you can specify if you'd like your offering used for our local missions and services that go directly to help those in our community that need it the most? We'd like to thank each and every one of you whether you've donated time or treasure to keep our churches going through the current COVID-19 measures. If you'd like to send an offering, you can send it to treasurer at graceunitedhanover.ca or mail 310 12th Street, Hanover, Ontario, Canada, N4N1V6. God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. May we feel God's Spirit joining us together in this time of worship, and may we feel the love of community holding us and caring for us now and always. I'm Adam Olivero, the Chair of the Ministry and Personal Committee at Grace United Church, and also on the Search Committee to find Reverend Sarah Brewer, who will be with us for the next three months here at Grace United. We're so excited to have you, Reverend Sarah. Thank you for joining us uh, while McCall is away on leave. I just wanted to let you know that while we may not be able to gather in person, many events continue to happen at Grace Online, and sometimes in person now too, while restrictions are lessening outside. For more information about book clubs or exercise groups, ukulele groups for children of all ages, messy church, those sorts of things, feel free to see our weekly email announcements or contact the church office. I now want to turn things over to Reverend Sarah Brewer, who will lead you through service today, along with Bob Blackmore singing a special gift of music, myself doing the readings, and Yuki, as you heard earlier, on the piano. Sarah? Good morning. Welcome to Worship with Grace United Church in Hanover, Ontario. We're glad you're here, and you, we hope you find this service meaningful. My name is Sarah Brewer, and I'm here filling in for three months while Reverend McCall is away serving the wider church. I'll tell you more about myself in just a minute. But first I want to acknowledge that the land upon which Grace United Church rests as a building and as a people belonged first to the Haudenosaunee, the Ojibwe, the Anishinaabe, and the Métis people. We're here today because of the treaty, Saugeen Treaty number 45 and a half, which has been made between settlers and the original inhabitants of this land. We give thanks for the care that they have taken of it, of the land, of the water, of the animals, the birds, the fish, of the plants, and of the people. We know that we have not always lived with respect as settlers in this land and we seek to renew our commitment to do so as we acknowledge that we want to live into right relationship. May the light of Christ shine brightly in our lives and all around us. Amen and God bless. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet God provides for the basic sustenance of life. May our hearts be open to trust you. Look at the birds of the air. They neither study nor plan nor plot their course. 
and yet God writes the instinct for migration into their hearts. May our eyes be open to see you. Look at the birds of the air. They neither talk nor vote nor debate their responsibility. Yet God weaves them into communities which nurture and defend. May our hands be open to serve you. Let us pray. Loving God, who calls us and leads us, we long to know your voice through thick and thin. We long to rest in your care for all of our needs. We give you our hearts as a sign of our desire to hear you and follow you. And we hold the hearts of our neighbors and friends before you, grateful that through their support in times like these, we also encounter you. Bless us and our time together, we pray. Amen. Everyone needs to know that somebody believes in them. The mission and service of the United Church of Canada lets people like Arwa Nofel know that you believe that they can change their lives for the better. My name is Arwa Nofel. Uh, I am from Palestine. Um, I am a mother of three beautiful children. I came here in summer uh, 2017 to Canada. It wasn't easy uh, for me at all as a single mom with the three kids in a new country, new culture, and new people. I was struggling. The whole family got involved to uh, Montreal City Mission with uh, all activities and the project they provided. Through Montreal City Mission, Arwa began a women's catering cooperative. It was uh, pretty good for me and for other women, other refugee and newcomer women. It, it went uh, bigger and bigger. Uh, until the pandemic hit. Arwa and her friends began sewing face masks for homeless shelters and frontline workers. The six women were soon producing more than 500 masks per week. I would like to thank Mission and Service of uh, United Church of Canada. But three years ago, I was just, uh, just a refugee woman who was in need, and now uh, I am a coordinator of uh, so many activities uh, at Montreal City Mission. Actually, I consider myself a lucky person. I hope to see more and more women getting that chance to have this better life for their families. Good morning, I'm Adam Olivero, and here's our first reading, Psalm 130, A Song of Ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. 
He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. And our scripture reading for today is Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 to 34. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and body more than clothes? Look at the birds in the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers in the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass in the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. Let us pray. Creating and caregiving God, you call us to pay attention to notice what you teach us through wildflowers and birds. As we continue to reflect on this call together today, may the words that I speak and the thoughts we all have be faithful reflections of your will for us. Amen. So I don't know about you, but if you ask me to sum up the last year and a half of living during a global pandemic with one word, I'd pick challenging. For example, the pandemic surfaced just after my spouse interviewed with a church here in Ontario. The chaos that ensued as we went into first lockdowns meant that though we knew the search committee wanted to call her, the call wasn't official until mid-May with a start date of July 1st. That left us with six weeks to sell a house during a lockdown in one province and to buy another one in another province without ever seeing it in person. Neither of us had ever been to Listowel until we came to sign the papers for the house we would move into two days later. Fortunately for us, it did all come together and has worked out well. But it was stressful and we had many sleepless nights getting here. Similarly, my father-in-law was one of the people whose cancer diagnosis was delayed and complicated because of the first shutdown last spring. Watching him navigate through his journey with cancer at a time when we couldn't accompany him to appointments or visit him in the hospital has been really hard. At the same time, I think about all those who've been working in hospitals and other essential services throughout this time. The stories nurses tell of watching loved ones die alone 
are heartbreaking. People who work in stores talk of people yelling at them because they had to ask those folk to comply with their store policies in response to health orders. Teachers and ministers have had to pivot from in-person to online, to in-person to online, to in-person to online. And we don't know if we're done yet. I think two of the challenges many families have faced. Grandparents have had the experience of not being able to hold a new grandchild during this time or to hug the ones they already have. We've also seen a spike in divorce rates caused from increased tensions within families as a result of the increased stress we're all facing. And people who live alone without an essential reason to leave their house speak of the loneliness of spending so much time alone day after day after day. This isn't to say that it's all been bad. Certainly, there have been some good things too. Air pollution, for example, has dropped significantly during the pandemic. Likewise, many of us have learned new skills or reconnected with long-lost family and friends through technology. Still though, the overarching theme that comes up in discussions about the pandemic is how challenging it's been. So when I was looking through our denominational resources for worship this month, and I noticed a theme suggestion called Faithful Tools for Challenging Times, it felt like this might be a good fit for this moment in our lives. This week's theme uses Jesus' teaching about the lilies of the field to reflect on how prayer can help us through challenging times. But before we get there, we find this story in the sixth chapter of Matthew. Just to give you a quick overview of what's happened so far in this gospel, Matthew starts with the genealogy of Jesus, which includes some characters you might not expect. That's followed by a story about Joseph's dream that his fiancee is pregnant with God's child. After Jesus is born, the Magi come looking for him, but King Herod finds that threatening, so he sets out to massacre the babies, and the Holy Family has to flee to Egypt as refugees until later when Joseph has another dream that it's safe to return home. Jesus continues then to grow up in Nazareth, and while he does, John the Baptist comes along, eating bugs and preaching fire and brimstone, while he baptizes people too including Jesus. Following Jesus' baptism, he's led out into the desert where he's tempted by evil for 40 days and nights. When he returns, Jesus calls his disciples and starts into his ministry of teaching and healing. The next few chapters of this gospel, in which our story for today is located, share some of Jesus' teachings about such challenging topics as murder, divorce, adultery, and violence. Of course, that's not to say that there aren't also some lovely moments in the midst of this gospel. So far, like Joseph deciding to take a chance on Mary, the wise guys bringing gifts, God saying, this is my beloved after Jesus is baptized, and Jesus teaching us to love one another. It is, however, to say that our story for today takes place in a context not unlike our own. There's the good stuff, but overall, our lives of late have been challenging. So 
Keep that reality in mind as I remind you again of our story for today with this paraphrase by a United Church minister named Ralph Milton. He writes, Don't worry about what might happen to you. Don't worry about what you will eat or what you will wear or where you will live. God knows you need all these things. Instead, look at a flower. See how beautiful it is? The flower doesn't work. The flower doesn't worry. The flower doesn't have any money. Yet even a king dressed in all his finest clothes isn't as beautiful as this flower. And if God loves a flower, don't forget how much more God loves you. So don't worry about what will happen to you. God knows what you need, and God will always be with you. When I read this lesson from the Bible this week, I was reminded of my experience with the university class that I'm taking this summer. When the course started a few weeks ago, the anxiety amongst us students was palpable. It's a six-week grad-level course, so we really had to hit the ground running. As a result, we were asking a lot of questions of the prof, trying to make sure we knew what was expected to get the kinds of grades we're used to. We rushed to sign up for group presentations so we could get the topics we wanted, ideally with friends. The fact that this course was encouraging creativity added to our stress, since creativity and academics don't typically go together. So to a lesser degree, our reality is, as students at the start of this course was not unlike the pandemic has been for all of us or the start of Jesus' ministry was for his friends and followers, according to the Gospel of Matthew. Then, into the midst of that reality for us, came a message from our professor. She wrote, I often get a number of anxious emails in this first week of class regarding assignments and the course in general. And here's the thing, it's okay. Now, my intention isn't to dismiss your anxieties, particularly those of you who live with anxiety disorders. Rather, my intention is to tell you that I'm here to help you in pretty much whatever way I can help. I like to think that I'm pretty reasonable. What stood out for me in that message from the prof is that she doesn't say, don't worry, this is a bird course. She wasn't suggesting there wouldn't be hard work ahead of us in it. What she said was, in the midst of the hard work, I'll be here for you. I'll help you through it. In a similar way, there's nothing in our Bible story for today that says bad things won't happen. When I consider the daylilies in my garden this summer, for example, I think of how one got knocked over in a rainstorm a few weeks ago and how I found a stick to put in the ground next to it to prop it back up. That stick helps it to stay up most of the time, but some days it topples over again and I have to go and pick it up again. Like my prof is there for the class, I'm there for the flower in my garden. And that, I think, is the point of this text. We worship a God who wants the best, not only for each one of us, but for all of creation including the ditch lilies and birds, and even the things that drive us crazy like dandelions, skunks, and some people. As the United Church Creed reminds us, we are not alone.
God is with us. Which brings me in conclusion to the spiritual practice of prayer. Prayer, I believe, is that which strengthens our connection to God. For some of us, prayer involves words. Yet our Bible story today reminds us that to look at a wildflower can also be a form of prayer, especially if doing so reminds us of our connections with God. I know that for me, when I most need to connect with God, I often go for a walk with my camera because it slows me down enough to notice that even in the struggles of life, God's goodness is there in the beauty of a flower and the song of a bird. What about you? How do you pray? Maybe you like to write letters to God, or you sing hymns, or talk to God while you're running. Maybe you use words, or you light a candle and sit quietly. Maybe you like to walk a labyrinth or read through the Psalms. Maybe you have a prayer partner that you pray with together on a regular basis. Prayer can look like many things, but at its root, it ultimately serves to strengthen our connection with God. It reminds us that in the trials of life, we are not alone. God is with us. So this week, I leave you with the invitation to find some time to explore the spiritual practice of prayer in your life. May it be so. Amen. Let us pray. Creator God, in these summer days, we are surrounded by your goodness and beauty. We experience it in ditch lilies and daffodils, in cardinals and robins, in fresh corn and ripe peaches. As we ponder these things, they remind us of you, of your love, your care, your creativity, your abundance, your grace. Yet you know, O oh God, that we also live in a world with so much to worry about. And so we turn to you now with the concerns that weigh heavy on our hearts. We bring our prayers for family, for friends, for our church, for our community, and indeed for all of creation. Remembering that just as much as you care about flowers and birds, so do too do you care about each and every one of us. No matter what we have done or not done, no matter how unlovable we may feel, your love for us is unwavering. You surround us with amazing grace. And so we trust in you divine comfort with our prayers for all who are sick. We know that it is hard to be sick in the midst of a pandemic when services and supports are limited. We remember as well the loved ones of those who are sick, knowing that the limitations are hard on them too. We pray as well for those who care for the sick, doctors and nurses, personal support workers and home care, dietary aides and custodians, so many of whom are exhausted from a challenging year. May your goodness bring peace that is soothing and restoring for all of these people. Tender-hearted one, we pray for all who are grieving. We remember people who are dealing with terminal diagnoses, whether for themselves or someone they love. We give thanks for lives well-lived that are hard to let go of. 
we trust your forgiveness for mistakes that have been made. Continue to walk with them through these times of transition. O oh God, be also with those who are mourning the death of a loved one. This pandemic has impeded our ability to support one another in the midst of grief. So we need you to be there for them when we can't. Loving and beloved God, we pray for our young in these last few weeks of summer vacation. We give thanks for their gifts, their dreams, their hope, their energy, their wisdom, their creativity. We remember our United Church summer camps whose programming for our young has once again been challenged by COVID this year. We remember parents and teachers, babysitters and coaches, Sunday school teachers and youth group leaders, all who do what they can to help our young live into your dreams for their lives and ours. Help us to listen and learn from our young and those who care for them. Creator God, we pray as well for the world we live in. We give thanks for the land, the water, the air, the plants, the trees, the animals that live on the land, in the air and underwater, and all humans. We remember that despite your care for the wildflowers, many of them are endangered. Here in Ontario, this includes wood poppies, western silvery asters, drooping trillium, and eastern prickly pear cacti. We remember that despite your care for the birds in the sky, many of them are endangered here too, including Acadian flycatchers, barn owls, golden eagles, and the Kirtland's warbler. Remind us, O oh God, that you created the world and called it good. Remind us, O oh God, that you created us and commissioned us to care for the world around us. Amazing Grace, help us to be the people you know we can be. Help us to reflect your love and care for those who are sick, for those who are grieving, for the young, and for all of creation. We ask these things trusting in your love and the way of Jesus, who taught us to pray together with these words. Our Creator, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Friends, as our time of worship draws to a close, I offer you this blessing. In God's heart, we are as precious as wildflowers. So may you receive the wisdom of God's words like rain and sink your roots into God's abundant love for you. And may you soak up the sunshine of Jesus' smile as you dance with joy in the Spirit's breeze. With this goodness, let us go now to bloom in our community, living as beautiful examples of your glory in our lives. And as we do, 
Let us never forget that we are not alone. God is with us. Thanks be to God. Amen. Hello, everyone. For those of you who I haven't met, my name is Sarah Brewer, and I'm thrilled to be joining you in ministry at Grace United Church in Hanover while McCall is away for the next three months. I've been a minister in the United Church of Canada since 2007, when I was commissioned to ministry and settled with Rundle Memorial United Church in Banff, Alberta. Three years later, I got married and I moved to be with my spouse in Manitoba. From there, I served as the Youth and Young Adult Minister for Cambrian Presbytery, which involved a hybrid of online and in-person ministry a decade before the pandemic, followed by six and a half years in congregational ministry with the people of McGregor United Church. Last summer, my wife and I moved to Listowel, where she accepted a call to the churches here, which brought us back after almost 20 years out west. Since being here, I've returned to school part-time to work on an MSW degree, while continuing to serve the church part-time as someone able to do online pulpit supply. And now, here I am with you for a few months. I'm excited to be journeying together while I'm here. I was wondering what to say to you in this video, and I remembered a Facebook post from a friend of mine last year. She was starting at a new church and she polled her friends to find out what they would want to know of their new minister. So I'm going to attempt to answer some of their questions. First, what is my favorite dinosaur? Well, I have to be honest, I don't know a lot about dinosaurs. So I had to do some research on this one. Based on that, I'd say that the Centrosaurus is my favorite dinosaur because they are one of the dinosaurs that would lived here in, on the land we call Canada. I also like that they are herbivores and I like to eat vegetables. What do I do for fun? Well, speaking of vegetables, as you can see in the background, I like to garden. I also knit, paint, quilt, play the piano, read, hike, swim, write letters, and play games. One of the things I'm trying to do this year, and part of why I'm recording outside, is that I'm spending a thousand hours outside. That's based on the reality that many of us spend a thousand hours or more every year in front of screens and TVs. What is my ideal vacation? Well, I enjoy road trips a lot. The car that will get me from here at my home to the church has taken me as far east as Nova Scotia, as far south as Point Pelee, as far north as Edmonton, and as far west as Vancouver already. Why am I a minister? So when I was about three years old, my dad was a struggling young musician and one of the local churches hired him as their organist. It was a job that even came with free childcare for me through the Sunday school, which would allow my mom to enjoy some time to herself on Sunday mornings. My mom once told me that she didn't expect me to like church, but I did. Soon I joined the junior choir, signed up for first communion classes, and became an altar girl. One morning when I was about nine years old and getting my gowns on before the service, my minister asked me if I'd thought about becoming a minister when I grew up. 
I hadn't, but I started to then. A few years later, when my family experienced a crisis, my church community rallied around us and my faith in God helped me through that tough time. By the age of 13, I was sent to the Bishop's Dinner for young people interested in ministry. At 14, I was easily lured away to the United Church because of its youth programming. Beyond the youth group, I was given opportunities in that church to develop my leadership skills, teaching Sunday school, preaching sermons, representing my church at conferences, filling in for the secretary during her summer vacation, etc. As a young adult, I also had the opportunity to spend three summers working at United Church summer camps, to attend national church events for youth and young adults, and I was hired to work as the children and youth minister at a Presbyterian church in Toronto when I was 22. I tell you all of that because the reason I am a minister today is rooted in churches that cared about their young people. At the same time, the reason I'm still a minister today is because I've seen how God's love and grace continue to transform not just individuals, but entire communities. What inspires me? The way of Jesus, nature, kindness, creativity, and hope. Should toilet paper go over or under? Honestly, I don't care. Now, if you don't take the empty roll off and put a new one on, then that's a different story. What about favorite and least favorite foods? So I'm gonna tell you up front that food is a challenge for me because of food allergies. I'm allergic to gluten, to dairy, to soy, to onion and garlic, which means that there's a lot of things I can't eat. In addition to those, one thing I do not like is fish. However, my favorite food is potatoes. Where did I grow up? And what's my favorite childhood memory? Well, I grew up on Georgian Bay in the town of Penetang. And a favorite memory from my childhood was growing, going to visit my grandmother in the summers. I especially liked when we would walk to Baskin Robbins for pink bubblegum ice cream. By my way of thinking, I could enjoy the ice cream then, and I could save the bubblegum pieces in a napkin to enjoy later. If I could have tea with anybody living, dead, or fictional, who would it be? the grandma I just told you about that I used to visit when I was a child. She and I were quite close. Even when she was riddled with dementia and I could only get back to see her in the nursing home once a year, her eyes continued to light up when I would walk in the room. My wish is that every human would have that kind of person in their lives. What would you do with a million dollars? I'd follow a lesson that my grandmother taught me. For birthdays and Christmases, she would give me a check. Half for me, half for others. With the half for me, I'd pay off my mortgage and buy a new car. With the half for others, there are many ministries and organizations that I would want to support. 
probably half for things like the Mission and Service Fund, Affirm United, the Justice and Reconciliation Fund, and United Church Camps. With, and the other half for programs beyond the church, like the Food Grains Bank, Habitat for Humanity, Doctors Without Borders, and Amnesty International. What's the best question that a kid has ever asked you? So I've been asked some amazing questions by young people, and it's really hard to pick just one. But my favorite still goes back to my niece. When we were home for New Year's once, when she was five years old, my wife and I were doing public supply at my dad's church. In preparation, we had enlisted our niece and nephew to help us make a sample of a paper nativity set. We'd prepared it for any children who might be there that Sunday since there was no Sunday school. So there we were coloring when my niece asked, how come they never include Herod in the nativity sets? Surprised by the depth of her question, I replied that it's probably because Herod was the bad guy in the story and people really don't want to think about dead babies at Christmas. To this, my niece responded with wisdom beyond her years. Aunt Sarah, you shouldn't call Herod a bad guy. He was just a guy who made a bad decision. That doesn't mean people should leave him out forever. What languages do you speak? Well, English is my first language. I am also fluent, though quite rusty, in French. And I've been learning German as an adult. I know just enough that I can almost ask questions and I can write postcards in German. Lastly, if you could undo one thing that you did in your life, what would it be? So do you remember me saying that I was hired as a half-time children and youth minister at a Presbyterian church when I was 22? Well, one week when I was there, I got a call from a friend of mine whose husband worked for an airline. As a result, she could get really cheap flights, and she was calling to ask if I wanted to go to Europe with her for the weekend. It was going to cost me $50. At the time, peanut butter was a thing you couldn't just buy there, and she had a friend living in England that she was going to deliver some to. That sounded like a lot of fun to my 22-year-old self but I had a job to do at the church on the Sunday and I didn't want to be irresponsible, so I said no. For me, that decision is symbolic of choices I've often made in my life to do what I think will make other people happy, often at the expense of opportunities that might make me happy. So my goal for the latter half of my life is to try and find more balance in that regard. Now, my question for you is, have I answered your questions? If you have others, please feel free to phone or email me with them. I'm also looking forward to opportunities to meet you as well and hear some of your stories. Mm -hmm.